1: It's a common fear, one so pervasive that it changed the funeral industry hundreds of years ago. It's called taphophobia, otherwise known as the fear of being buried alive. Back in the 14th century, accidentally burying someone who was still living happened more often than you think. John Dunst Scotus, a philosopher, was once believed to have been interred prematurely in 1308. When the vault his body was residing in was opened, He was found laying dead on the floor beside his sarcophagus with his hands all cut up. He had tried to fight his way out. It was this fear that eventually led to the invention of the safety coffin, which involved some kind of mechanism to alert the living up above that the person below them had been prematurely buried. They often used a bell tied to a string that ran underground to the coffin where it could be pulled. Essie Dunbar didn't have a bell or a string. But she certainly let everyone know what had happened to her she was born in barnwell county south carolina in the late 1800s she seemingly lived there all her life becoming a beloved member of her community in 1915 though her fame would extend far beyond the borders of barnwell county essie was roughly 30 when it happened she'd suffered from an epileptic seizure that sent her falling to the floor a local doctor by the name of dk briggs was called to attend to her And when he got there, it was clear that it was too late. Essie was no longer breathing. After checking her pulse and other vital signs, Dr. Briggs declared her dead. Her family stepped in to handle the final arrangements. They dressed her in nice clothing, made a wooden coffin for her to be buried in, and prepared everything for her funeral. Three ministers were asked to officiate the service that day after her death. The only person who hadn't been part of the planning was her sister, who lived in Allendale, about 25 miles south of where Essie lived. She had apparently not been told about her sister's sudden passing until well after it had happened, and caught a last-minute train home, but it was scheduled to arrive just before the funeral started. Friends, family, and mourners all gathered together at 11 o'clock the next day to pay their final respects to Essie. Each minister gave their remarks, and at the end of the service, the coffin was opened so everyone in attendance could say goodbye one last time. The only person not there? Essie's sister. Her train hadn't arrived yet. Not wanting to wait any longer to put Essie to rest, the other family members pushed forward with the burial. They carted her coffin up the hill to the cemetery, where a final prayer was said. Essie was then lowered into her grave. Tearful mourners looked out into the distance, hoping to see her sister arriving before the coffin was covered and she was gone for good. But there was no sign. Finally, from a short distance away, the sister's voice was heard calling. She had finally arrived. Workers had already dumped several feet of dirt on top of the coffin, but the ministers asked them to dig Essie out so her sister could say goodbye. They did as they were instructed, unearthing Essie's casket and raising it back out of the ground. Everyone stood around the casket as the lid was unfastened and removed. And without warning, Essie Dunbar, who had been pronounced dead by a doctor only a day before, sat straight up and greeted her sister with a smile. According to the reports, her recovery caused all hell to break loose. The ministers fell into the grave. One of them suffered from three broken ribs, but not from the fall. The other two men had stepped on him trying to get out of the grave. Everyone else ran away, including Essie's sister. Meanwhile, Essie herself didn't understand what the commotion was about, only that all of her loved ones were fleeing in terror, Not realizing that she was the reason for their fear, she ran after them, chasing them down the hill, which I'm sure only added to their fright. Essie lived another 47 years following her premature burial, finally passing away for real this time, in 1962, at the age of 70. And she got the last lap as well, outliving the doctor who had declared her dead the first time, back in 1915. And from what I've heard, his funeral. Was it nearly as exciting? To start living yours. Let's get into it. Before the dot-com bubble burst in 2000, the 1990s saw explosive growth across the realm of consumer technology. We saw the proliferation of the MP3. Steve Jobs returned to Apple and steered it back toward success. And the cell phone was gaining steam as a permanent fixture in our hands. And before we had text messages, Snapchats, Facebook, and even AOL Instant Messenger, there was email. An electronic letter could be sent anywhere in the world from any computer connected to the internet. Email changed the way we communicated, literally. It changed how we wrote, how we spoke, and the words we use on a daily basis. But in 1997, one company wanted to change the way people sent and received email— and they did it in a fun and whimsical way not seen since. It started when Indiana native James Robert Davis launched his own syndication company, Paws Inc, back in 1981. At the time, Paws Inc was responsible for managing a popular media entity, and in the mid-1990s, the company built a whole new website around its most popular property. This website arrived during an era when several platforms offered comprehensive all-in-one services. They provided email, news, chat forums, and more. America Online was perhaps the most popular, but there was also Prodigy, Apple's eWorld, and CompuServe, just to name a few. In the late 90s, however, James's fledgling web service became an unexpected competitor to those bigger internet names. Those who navigated to its orange and yellow-themed website were greeted with 10 unique menu options. There was a Gazette section filled with important news of the day, as well as a book nook where users could learn more about specific titles related to his intellectual property. People could also find comic strips, games, puzzles, and even a fan club where they could unlock top-secret content only for registered members. But perhaps the most important feature of all was its email service. Users had the option to send and receive email from James' website for free, breaking them off the bonds imposed on them by their internet service providers. The name of this breakthrough email service? Gmail. Except this wasn't the Gmail you're probably thinking of. That Gmail had been developed under the codename Caribou and kept secret for several years until it was finally revealed to the public on April Fool's Day of all days in 2004 by internet search giant Google. James's Gmail, on the other hand, started its life at the turn of the century and continued on for several more years. It was not the product of a giant tech conglomerate, but in fact part of the official website of everyone's favorite orange, Monday-hating lasagna-eating tabby cat, Garfield. Users who signed up for Garfield Mail, or Gmail as it was referred to on the Garfield website, were given an address at catsrule.garfield.com. You could log in and email all your fellow fans from your very own Garfield email account. Jim Davis's fat orange tabby is still popular today, just as he always has been, but that old website is long gone, and with it the original Gmail. But all hope is not lost. Several years ago, it was revealed that Garfield's email service might still be alive. A technology blog contacted a known address at catsrule.garfield.com and did not receive a bounce-back confirmation in return, which meant that their email went through. So it's possible that somewhere out there, someone still has and uses their Garfield email address. For everyone else, though, their days of eating digital lasagna are over. They can still enjoy Garfield comic strips, watching his cartoons, movies, and even a few avant-garde alternatives, including one version of a comic where Garfield never existed and his owner, John Arbuckle, simply talks to himself. Garfield, the character, shows no signs of going away anytime soon, but his ill-fated email service of the 1990s and early 2000s that has sadly ended up in the junk folder. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show.